0: This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to another edition of Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Michelle Lux, with our guest, Dr. BJ Hawkins. She's a licensed professional fiduciary and founder and CEO of OneSource Fiduciary Solutions. Welcome and thank you, Dr. Hawkins, for joining me today.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me on this program.
0: Our episode focuses on what you wish you knew the first time you were an expert witness, and I asked you to share some stories and your insight.
1: Well, I think the topic of what should I have known when I first started uh, with my expert witness, my testifying expert witness career is excellent, and I would like to start with that as opposed to giving my background first. Um, As a former uh, Fortune 100 corporate executive, I had had a lot of experience in being under pressure, uh, being asked questions, if you will, similar to opposing counsel. What I had not had experience in was the whole notion of attorneys as colleagues and questioning an attorney once an engagement had been um, contracted for, if you will. Um, And uh, as I became more mature in my expert witness experience, I understood the importance of communication directly with the attorney who was responsible for the case and the attorney uh, that you would be working with either at deposition or during trial. Uh, Oftentimes, especially in the larger law firms, you'll work with associates uh, or other attorneys who are involved in the case, but it is important to establish communication and a rapport with the attorney that you will be working with um, when you're in the limelight. Uh, Because oftentimes an associate Um, or a newly minted attorney will not uh, understand some of the questions that you will ask, and they will not understand a particular uh, perspective, a more senior attorney will.
0: You were an upper-level senior executive in Fortune 500 companies. How did you get your start in fiduciary services today?
1: Well, I testify in the area of breach of fiduciary duty and that breach of fiduciary duty uh, encompasses uh, corporate governance, uh, breach of uh, duty of corporate officers, especially in the C-level suite. But I also do breach of fiduciary duty because of my licensed professional fiduciary experience with respect to trustees, conservators, and a breach of spousal duty in marital disillusion or divorce cases. So oftentimes in the past, breach of fiduciary duty was only considered from a legal perspective, but now in terms of complexities of corporate organizations, high-profile divorces, and recently I think everyone has been aware of the Free Britney movement, And that talks about the complexities with conservatorships and trusteeships. So I testify in all of the areas and my experience as a corporate executive, my experience as a turnaround executive, and my experience in dealing with um, troubled situations or crisis management situations has been extraordinarily helpful in uh, all of the areas of my fiduciary expertise.
0: Regarding expert report writing, have you learned certain techniques along the way to improve them?
1: Well, I think that's an excellent question uh, because there is no best way. There are best procedures and processes, uh, but first of all, you want to be Truthful, and you want to remember that you are always the neutral. You are not an advocate. So if you take those basic underlying premises, then what you want to do is to write clearly, succinctly. You want to make sure that they're not the the stupid errors like typos or misplaced sentences. And I think that all of us use the technology But sometimes the technology can substitute a word or um, give a different meaning. So just old-fashioned checking your work, making certain that you have enough time to review it. And if you have a staff, having your staff do a final edit check. I have found it extremely helpful. I was involved in a professional organization of expert witness, and I... um, continued to do continuing education credits um, and seminars and webinars. And that's extremely helpful in changing from what I call a competent report writer to an extremely good report writer. Most of the attorneys that I work with are are always uh, pleased and pleasantly surprised at the detailed content and the readability of my reports. And I would suggest for someone coming into the field that it's not like in the movies, it's what you say on the witness stand or during deposition. It's how you can convey your thoughts, your expertise on paper. So it's extremely important. And for those from the more technical fields, I often will suggest because as former president of the greater Los Angeles chapter of the Forensic Expert Witness Association, I often would suggest to uh, newcomers to the field or those who are interested that they brush up on grammar and sentence structure and understanding that if an attorney or a judge or opposing counsel has to read, run on sentences and grammatical errors, that will automatically reduce your credibility. So I think that the whole old adage that you have to work hard and work smart is very appropriate for an expert witness.
0: With Forensic Expert Witness Association, what else do they do for credentials? Do they offer mock trials or prepare experts in other ways for testimony?
1: Of course, we do all of those things. Um, I haven't been um, extremely active um, over the last couple of years, but for about 10 to 12 years of my expert, uh, both expert testimony and as an expert consultant, I worked with the organization, and it was mock trials. It was um, what colors you wear, uh, how you present yourself, what, are you, uh, what do you do if you have, you're in a hostile environment, um, even how you speak correctly to your honor, the judge. And oftentimes it's not the big glaring issues, it's the small uh, important factors that distinguish you as an experienced, competent, and capable expert witness. So I think that whatever professional organization, whatever continuing education credits that you have, both in your field and in the uh, field, in, in your field of expertise, and in the field of expert witness is important. What you learned and knew 10 years ago is no longer uh, relevant. It provides a core or basic, but you have to keep up. Um, In some fields, it's what's changed last year or two years ago. So it's very important that anyone who is providing expert services uh, keep up with what's happening in their field of expertise. And also, uh, if we look at COVID, the whole notion of how you appear uh, online is so important. What is your background? Uh, I mean, what is the background on a a Zoom or in a court connect call? Um, I have seen attorneys who are on a court connect call and their background lighting is so bad that you can't even see their face. Now, that is extraordinarily distracting for both the judge and for other counsel that's involved. If you can't see the lips moving, you can't see the eyes, you can't see the face, you cannot see whether a person is making a joke or whether or not they are deadly serious when they are making a statement. So yes, Michelle, that is extremely important for areas beyond your Area of expertise, but how do you present yourself as a knowledgeable expert witness?
0: Do you often testify as an expert outside California, or do you testify for international courts?
1: Uh, I've done international. I've done um, national uh, work, nationally, locally, and regionally. Um, I think if we go back to the impact of COVID, I made a decision. That um, I would not take cases internationally, and I would not take uh, cases um where I had to do extensive airline travel during COVID. That was a personal decision. It was not only the level of comfort, it was just the it was problematic getting to some places. Uh and then You had different standards in different states. And I think it's important that you realize that even though you are engaged um, as an expert, it's not common sense, it's your comfort level. Because I believe that that impacts on your ability to provide excellent testimony. Uh, If I could just give you one short story um, that sort of summarizes why I think that attorney communications is important, but also considering the whole person. Um, I had a case, and the attorney um, repeatedly said we would talk soon, and that soon became the day before the trial. And even though I certainly had a record where I had emailed, uh, made telephone calls, uh, texted, uh, I had not been able to get the attorney's attention. Uh, In the briefing the day before, I realized that it was an inexperienced attorney, one, but number two, the staff had not taken care of my hotel reservations properly. So I really didn't have a room when I arrived. It took me three or four hours to get in a room. I was exhausted after the the plane trip. And during the briefing session, which turned out to be late in the evening because the attorney kept pushing it back, I was sleepy, tired, irritable, hungry, Okay, and uh, trial started at 8 o'clock the next morning. Um, What I think was important is that it was unfortunate for the clients, but it was also unfortunate, I felt, in terms of how I presented myself as a professional, and I learned a lesson That if the attorney could not make time to be able to communicate with me at sufficient time, then I needed to draw the line. If the attorney wouldn't, some experts would say, No, I don't want to annoy or get on the bad side of counsel. And I would say, Is that you have to look at your reputation, realizing that what you say is part of a permanent record. And you have an obligation to yourself as a professional, to professional ethics, and to the field to sometimes draw the line.
0: Absolutely. You have to be an advocate for yourself, too. Um, And and it's your professional name on the line as well. Um, All very good, interesting facts there and helpful tips. So thank you for sharing that. Any last stories that you would like to share with me?
1: Well. I want to say something about the whole Free Britney movement and conservatorships in general. It's a topic that I think, as the country ages, as we have people living longer, there are sometimes situations where conservatorship is invaluable, invaluable in terms of making sure that the person is not taken advantage of invaluable in terms of the family, uh, especially if you're talking about intergenerational wealth and just the health and well-being of both the individual. And as an expert in that field, what I would uh, caution uh, my colleagues, um, as well as um, individuals involved, that it is so important for an organization like the Roundtable Group that does screening of experts. So you have credible individuals whose credentials have been checked, who have gone uh, through screening because some of the individuals commenting on the case had no clue about the field. They did not have specific expertise. And they were communicating a lot of information that 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 was just wrong. It was an error. Uh, for example, in California, before any person is conserved or enters into a conservatorship, they are represented by independent counsel that listens only to them, and that was is, is something that unfortunately, the media never talked about an expert witness or someone who had specific expertise. They spoke to attorneys who knew the legal aspects of it. They talked to people from the Free Britney movement, but no one ever contacted an expert witness, a testifying expert witness on breach of fiduciary duty or expertise in the conservatorship field, because um, someone like myself would have been able to clarify certain points. We are known as neutral, okay? We we weren't trying to become the next uh, counsel, you know, for Britney Spears. So I think I would just like to uh, uh, end by saying, I have found the area of expert witness, especially as a testifying expert witness, to be fascinating, invigorating, uh, always an opportunity to learn, and certainly the opportunity to have um, significant experience and meet outstanding individuals.
0: Thank you, I appreciate that, exactly. And there is something as you're mentioning uh, for the news media, There are multiple sides and different viewpoints, but to your point, the neutral party and understanding of really what's more larger at play there would be, um, I think, useful (laughs) to know on the the grander scale of everything, but thank you for your time, Dr. Hawkins. I really appreciate it. And um, we will talk soon and and hopefully get you connected to some more cases here shortly.
1: All right. Thank you, Michelle. And good luck as you continue with this effort. I think it's uh, Extraordinarily good idea, and hopefully will allow the whole field to get greater visibility and also to help uh, individuals enter the field. I am especially uh, interested in having individuals from underrepresented groups understand that becoming an expert witness is a possibility and having a better understanding how to present themselves, and how to prepare to becoming an excellent expert.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our short notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps.